We're going to take a break from our study through David to focus on an area that I have been neglecting, actually, for a while. And I just felt impressed. Anna kind of confirmed it with me this week. It's a situation that I want us to, as a church, to focus on. I've never actually taught on this before, but I believe this is a situation that we as a church, and as Keith mentioned earlier, as a church in this country, both for what's happening here and what's happening around us, that we should take time to focus on. We all know there's a lot of health issues going on here, uh, a lot of financial issues going on here, a lot of family issues that are going on just in this church, and I'm sure in every church. And as you saw, the world is just a mess. That calls for Christians to take action. Amen? If my people who are called by my name, right, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. doesn't say the world to do that. It says for us to do that. And God will heal things that are going on. We've been listening to a series on Wednesday night called Good or God. And last week's lesson was really a, a wake-up call or a challenge to us. And the emphasis is on, do we refer to Jesus as our Savior or do we refer to Jesus as our Lord? And he makes a point to say, Savior is what he does. Lord is who he is. In other words, we have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, not simply Savior. And if he's Lord, that means he's the boss. He gets to dictate what we do. Now, we've talked about spiritual warfare before, and today I want to focus a little bit on that, about what we're supposed to do as believers in response to that. There's an account that you all know in, in the Bible, and it talks about Jesus going to heal a man's son who disciples could not heal. And we pick it up in Mark chapter 9, verse 17, and it says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I have brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, and they could not cast it out. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell to the ground, wallowed foaming at the mouth. So the disciples had tried to cure this, tried to heal it. Nothing happened. Skip to verse 25. says, when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became one as dead. And that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come to his house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? Jesus said to them, this kind can only come out by nothing other than prayer and fasting. So what's happening? It requires work on the part of the disciples to accomplish something for God. Back in Mark 6, Jesus had already given them authority to do it. I give you authority to drive out demons. But their ministry was ineffective. Nothing was working for them. God, what God said was going to happen wasn't happening. Why? 
because they were not using the resources that God had provided for them. Main lesson here is the power of faith to overcome the enemy. Why did they fail? Because they were careless in their personal spiritual walk. They had neglected prayer and fasting. Now, before we go any further, I know that some translations do not have the words fasting at the end. But in most commentaries I've read, I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't preaching something that I thought. But most of the commentaries I read said that this phrasing is in harmony with every other teaching about prayer and fasting, that they go together. So Jesus, if he rebuked them for their weak spiritual walk and told them what they needed to do in order to be successful, don't we want to know what he said? How do we become effective? In other words, if we want to see victory in our lives, in our faith, in our church, in our country, then we need to make sure that we are not neglectful in our spiritual walk. The authority that Jesus gave them was only effective if they exercised it by faith and did the work required to adhere to that. We need to make sure our spiritual walk is not neglected. Their faith must, not, must be cultivated through spiritual discipline and devotion. I have a book in my office that's called Spiritual Disciplines. Things that as Christians we should do in order, order to cultivate our relationship with God. One of the focuses on the lesson Wednesday night is a lot of people walk around saying that Jesus is my Savior, but they don't act like Jesus is their Lord. Jesus says somewhere in the Bible, it says, you know, you call me Lord, but you don't do the things I'm asking you to do. So we acknowledge that he's the Lord, but we don't do what he tells us to do. So if we want to acknowledge and get our spiritual walk on target, then we have to not only acknowledge him as that, but then we have to do what he's calling us to do. We can't expect God to come through in powerful ways if our devotional life and our personal walk is not surrendered to him. Prayer and fasting are but two disciplines that God has called us to. When you guys were in school, some of you a couple years ago, some of you a little bit longer, when you had a, a test coming up, did you cram for the test? Yes. Did you study hard for that test? Nope. Some of you were able to ace it by not studying. I, I, I hate you guys. Some of us had to study hard to just barely eat by. Now, other than you weirdos that can do that, if you did not study, do you expect to do well on the test? No. Why? Because you're not prepared for it, you're not trained up, you're not ready to do the test. As a Christian, it's no different. We have to have our lives in order, we have to seek God and be consistent about our walk in order to be able to have the ability to be victorious in, in what God has called us to do. He told us in the passage, if we don't spend time praying and fasting, we cannot expect to be able to do anything of power. That's what he said to the disciples. It's not coming out because you all didn't pray and fast about it. It's basically what he's telling them. So we're going to take a look at that. Why do we fast? Why do we pray and fast? We're going to look at fasting because I think we all pray. Fasting is a little bit different. 
The Bible gives us many examples of men of God who did take the time to fast. When Daniel saw the prophecy of the desolation of Jerusalem, he saw what was going to happen, and it would last 70 years. What did Daniel do? He turned to God to restore the city. And Daniel 9.3 says, So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I wore sackcloth and sprinkled myself with ashes. And this was the time, if you remember, that for three weeks Daniel did this, and for three weeks the angel sent from God battled the enemy. And it took him, the Bible says, 21 days to make it to David because it was during that time that the conflict was going on. So the whole time David was praying and fasting was the time that these angels were fighting. And finally, because of his persistence, the angel broke through and was able to come down and meet, and, and meet uh, David's need, or Daniel's need. When God was telling Joel about the prophecy that was coming and telling them that there may be still time to avoid it, Joel hears this from God. Joel 2.12 says, this is what the Lord says. Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with praying or fasting, weeping, and mourning. When the early church leaders needed direction, they needed God to really reveal himself to them. Acts 14.23 says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Fasting is so serious that even in married life, God says there's a time for that. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Now, husbands and wives, it's a good verse. It says, do not deprive each other except with consent. Now, he's talking about relationships with husbands and wives. Don't deprive yourself, but when you do, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. The time you are separated is the time that you pray and fast. And when Jesus was put into a situation by God, through prayer and fasting, he overcame the temptation. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert and was tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know, you read that, it's like, okay, I get it. Pretty obvious statement. How many think you could fast for 40 days? We have trouble fasting for 40 hours. Our, our church back home, they did that. We tried that once. Probably not a great thing to do because we really didn't seek any medical advice before we did that. And a couple of folks got really sick trying to adhere to that fast. So we're not talking about fasting 40 days. If Jesus, or if God led Jesus to fast before his ministry even started, that's good enough for me. Second point, prayer and fasting puts you in the best possible position for a breakthrough. What are we doing when we take time to fast and pray? We are defeating our fleshly desires in order to seek and take time to seek God, find out what God wants. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. When your flesh desires something, the Bible says 
unless it's a God thing, it's from the enemy. So what we want to do during the time of fasting is you are defeating the sinful desires that God has given you or the enemy has given you. When you deny your basic cravings, you put yourself in a better position to hear from God and to experience the breakthrough that we need in our walk. It happens because we are denying what our flesh wants. What did Jesus say that we as his disciples need to do? Mark 8, 34. It says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When we put what God wants above what we want, we open ourselves up to a breakthrough that we have been praying for. All the situations I mentioned at the beginning, the health issues, the family issues, financial issues, we're looking for a breakthrough, correct? We're looking for God to do something. And the question we have to ask ourselves is are we putting in the effort that God says we need to do in order to get that result. The Bible says at the beginning that the disciples weren't doing what God told them to do. They were neglecting their spiritual responsibility of taking time to fast and pray. And Jesus rebuked them for not doing what they're supposed to do for neglecting. So, what is fasting? Fasting in the Bible specifically deals with food and water for a particular period of time. The literal, the literal translation of the word in the Greek means no food, and the Hebrew means not to eat. So it's denying yourself food. Esther 4.15 says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day and night. Biblical fasting, if, if we look at it biblically, goes from sunset one day to sunset the next day, if you're going to fast for a whole day. And what we do is we abstain from food to gain mastery over the flesh. How many of you have ever gone shopping while you were hungry? <laughs> Everything that you look at looks good. And during that time of shopping, you have to neglect what your flesh wants in order to buy what you need, correct? Otherwise, you'd be coming home with a basket full or a buggy full of stuff. So what you're doing when you're fasting is you're denying yourself what you think your flesh wants. We are physically defeating what our flesh wants in order to replace it with what God wants. And that's the second part. While we're denying ourselves, that is the time that we take to pray. The time that you would spend normally eating, whether it's lunchtime, breakfast, whatever, you take that time instead of eating to pray. We are denying our flesh in order to follow God. Now, today's society, and we're doing this with the kids a little bit. We're not really, we're asking the kids to do this, but more than the food thing, we're trying to get them to give up other things. Even though biblical fasting is food, we've substituted that sometimes with fasting TV, video games, whatever, things that are important to us. And I, and I get the reasoning behind it giving up something you really want and replacing it with time spent in prayer. I'm not against that. I'm not going to quibble over that. But in reality, when you deny these things, you are denying what your mind wants. 
not what your body wants. Your body needs food to survive. You don't need TV and video games to survive. But if that's your beginning to divine, denying yourself and seeking God, awesome, go for that. But what you're doing, you want to, biblical fasting is food. As time progresses and you say give up TV or whatever you want to give up, you should want to go the next step and go to fasting what the Bible says we're supposed to fast, which is food. Now, I've heard some folks say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm giving up chocolate as a fast. Or I'm giving up coffee as a fast. Not a fast. That's Lent. It's not a fast. Now, let me stop right here. What I am not saying is that we deny ourselves and put ourselves in a health risk. All right? If you are pregnant and you need nutrition, don't risk injury. If you're a diabetic or any other health issue, ask a doctor first before you fast. I'm not saying that everyone should simply blankly give up food. Be wise about it. Fasting is simply denying what you want, not what you need to get what God wants. If you come expecting God to work, the question we ask ourselves, are we doing our part in preparing ourselves for what God is going to do? Or for what God wants to do? Jesus isn't gonna physically walk down this aisle. Pretty sure, pretty confident of that. But he will do if we don't neglect what we're supposed to do He'll use one of us to accomplish what he would accomplish if he were here. When God speaks to us in a service through either prophecy or tongues and interpretation, obviously Jesus isn't physically here. So he's using someone to communicate what he wants to communicate. And that's the same with anything else. If we're going to pray for someone and minister to someone, then we need to do our due diligence before we go. We take time to fast, we take time to pray like the disciples didn't do, and then go talk and pray for them. The disciples had the authority to drive out demons, but they were not prepared to do it. God's given us authority. The question is, are we prepared for that authority? When you're 16, you're legally allowed to drive. You have the authority to drive. But as any parent will tell you, a 16-year-old is not really prepared to drive. And that as a parent, we train them and we prepare them for that. We as Christians have the authority to pray and trust God and do things like that. But if we're not prepared to do it, then we will be ineffective in what we do. Right now, at least... In my view, viewpoint, we're not seeing too many great moves of God. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying we're not seeing it, whether it's in healings or, or families being restored. You know, there's a stat that says that the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world. I don't get it. People look at the church and do they see anything radically different about us in the power of God than any other organization. 
Now you hear about all these things that are happening in other countries, healings and deliverances and all that kind of stuff. Why is that? They're desperately seeking God. They have nothing else. They simply believe what God's word says and they do it. They have no distractions. They have nothing else taking up their time or things that they would rather be doing. They have nothing and they're seeking God and God shows up. That can happen here just as easily as it happens anywhere else. The question is, do we want it? Do we really want to put the time in and trust God for that? Let me ask you a question. Do you think God still wants to heal? Do you think God still wants to have families restored? Do you think God wants people to get saved? Yeah. If God wants to do all these things and they're not happening to a great extent, why not? And what can we as believers do about it? What was the last verse of the paragraph we read at the beginning? Why couldn't we cast it out? The disciples asked him. He said, this kind comes out only or by nothing but prayer and fasting. And that's what I'm calling us as a church to begin. And we're going to have a set time to do that. But I want it to not end at that point. Praying and fasting are not an end to themselves. They are a means to an end. And that is preparing ourselves for God to work through us. When we deny ourselves, when we take up the cross, when we follow God, all of these are things that we are denying what we want in order to get what God wants. In your pass out, you have that listing of prayer and fasting. We're giving a modified version of that to the kids and they, we are asking them to do the TV and video games because I think in their minds they, they need it to survive. But it's harder for them because, you know, do you want to have liver and onions tonight, buddy, or do you want to play a video game? They'll do the video game. So we're going to ask them to give up things that are important to them. And as parents, you want to help encourage them to do that, to take time out and pray. I've told the teens, you know, they're in a position now that the choices they make are going to affect them the rest of their life. So make smart choices. Don't wait till you're 30 or 40 to start making smart choices. Make them now. And so we want to train the kids to do that as well. But we want them to see us as adults doing it. It's what, you know, if they're doing it and we're not doing it, you know, do as I say, not as I do. How does that work? James Dobson says, more is caught than taught. In other words, they will act like you act. Not, they will not act like you tell them to act. I want to encourage them to do that. I want to encourage us to do that. And then remember, this isn't a contest. This is something you're going to do on your own. We're not going to, as the insert says, we're not going to have a sign-up sheet. We're not going to raise our hands. The Bible says it's between you and God, right? Matthew 6, 16 says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do who try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I assure you that that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will suspect you are fasting except your father 
who knows what you do in secret, and your Father who knows all secrets will reward you. As Christians, we come to church and we do our personal devotions because we want to become more like Jesus. Is that a fair statement? We want to be more like Christ. And if Jesus had a fast before he did any ministry, then we need to be fasting before we expect God to do any ministry through us. We're not comparing ourselves with anyone else. We've asked in the pass out that we fast, I think it's the, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I was gonna do it Thanksgiving, but I figured that'd be a big failure. So, Wednesdays between the 22nd and the 20th of December, I think, if you can fast all day, it'd be awesome. If you can only fast one or two meals, it's okay. And again, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna ask you, did you fast today, did you do this? It's between you and God, because we all wanna grow. We wanna become more like him. We don't wanna neglect what God has already called us to do. The last verse I'm gonna read is 1 Timothy 4.14. It says, do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophets he's spoken to you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. We've already got the gifts. The Bible says we all have at least one gift, spiritual gift. But we also have the ability to neglect them or ignore them. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, God could want to do something through me but I have the ability to say, nope, I'm not doing it. So all these things that God has given us the ability to do, we want to not neglect them, but we want to give our complete attention to them. A lot of serious health issues going on here. Most of you know what they are. And eventually all of us are going to get in that same position whether through age or sickness. And when you're talking to someone at that stage in their life, nothing else really matters except where they're going to go and the relationship they have. When we as a church come together and we experience the power of God and we experience healings and, and prophecy, all that kind of good stuff, it's all great. But really, the ultimate goal of all of it, all of it, is to bring people closer to Christ, either get people saved or get people pressed in to God. The Bible says, Jesus says, many are going to say to me in that last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things for you? And Jesus says, sorry, man, I don't know who you are. Why? Because people who have come to church and done good things never really accepted Jesus as their Lord. He's the boss. He's the ruler. He gets to dictate my life. I can't live like I want to live. When we give our complete attention to these, then we see people saved. We see miracles happen ultimately to bring people in to the family. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Now, most of you, or some of you, or maybe a few of you may know, 
that our, one of our families is taking an extended trip. <laughs> they are going to China. Is that correct? For how long? Australia. Well, we want to pray for you before you go. So if you'd come on up front. They're going to be gone for how long? Four weeks. Four weeks. So we need God to protect them while they're gone, right? So I'm going to come down and I'll ask my deacons and their spouses to come up. And Anna. They've had all their shots. <laughs> Again. We're going to pray God's protection upon them. They're going to a country that's not too hospitable to believers. So we're going to pray God's protection upon them. And maybe even God's using them as a witness to where he's going. Amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands forward as we pray for them? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have drawn us into your family. You have called us, you've saved us, and you've filled us with your spirit in order to be your witnesses and your believers here, to be used by you to do great things if we seek your face. And now, Father, we have a family that's taken a trip in a few days to different countries, and we pray your protection upon them as they go that your Holy Spirit will guard them, surround them with your angels, protect them from anything that may come their way. And we pray that you would open doors for them while they are gone. Set up divine appointments. In a country that does not recognize you, I pray that you would protect them, but also give them the opportunity to talk to people about you. They're going to be in a position that no one else may ever be in. So Lord, we pray that you would guard their hearts and their minds and their bodies Protect them from what they're doing and use them for what you want to do. Protect them while they're gone, Lord. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy. We pray for that new little baby. You keep him safe and healthy as well. Mm-hmm. Or her. <laughs> we know it's him. But we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for giving them to us. Now we pray that you protect them while they're away. And Lord, we pray your continued protection upon us as a church as we seek to do your will and seek to press in. We know the opposition will be there. And we pray that you would give us the power and ability to overcome that, to bring victory to you, to bring victory to this church, and to bring victory to the lives of the people in this church that we're praying for. Lord, we lift up Sue and Brenda this morning and Robin. Less. Touch them, Lord. You know their situations. You know exactly where they are. And I just pray that, God, you would do a miracle in their life. As we seek your face and we fast and we pray for you to do a miracle, we pray that you would enter their lives and do great things that only God can do. Father, we love you this morning. We commit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to take time to develop the disciplines you've called us to do. That we would have the power that comes through our dedication to you through prayer and through fasting. We are your servants here to do your will. So we ask you to do that through us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord this morning, would you?